0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, December fifteenth, 2019. My name is Melanie C., a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. The Share ID numbers for Friday, December thirteenth, 2019, are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study is 13817. That's 13,817. And for the 10 a.m. Big Book Study Meeting, the Share ID number is 13819-13819. This morning, A Vision for You presents God Could and Would if He Were Sought. It seems prudent to simply read directly from the Big Book, pages 60 to 63. Anything being done today by this moderator would not even touch the divine that is being taught on those pages. However, if you would indulge me, I would take a bit from page 60 that precedes our presentation title this morning. How about we step back a letter or two from the title, which we know is the introduction to Step 3 and Pertinent Idea C, to the letters A and B. Pertinent Idea A is that we are were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. Here's a spoiler for you. We can't manage our own
1: lives drunk
0: or sober. Let's imagine the biggest concern for someone new to OA is the not eating part. How many of us arrive at the doors of OA filled with pain, with the hidden idea that we can still manage our lives, plus control and enjoy our over or under eating, desperately saying that I have surrendered it all this time. Can we get help with this secret hope that we do not have to put down the food? It is sometimes said around the rooms O.A. would be a much larger fellowship if it weren't for that entire abstinence part. You know, that eating compulsively piece, that not surrendering ourselves part, the banishing the self-reliance bit. But we cannot manage our own lives. And that we came to find that we are the real alcoholic, the I.E., the real compulsive overeater. Concerns, oh my yes, and there are plenty of them, so let's carry on. The concerns are, may, not, may not always be in thought, but they are for sure in action. What do you mean there's no power? What do you mean, I'm rather, there is no human power? There's no human power ever? Pertinent idea B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. Haven't we a string of brilliant titles, efforted by ourselves, stacked behind our names over and over and over and over? How come self is insufficient? We have stopped eating compulsively many, 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 many times. Isn't this some sort of power from myself? Or is there really any kind of power at all? The worry here might be the assumption of the God language, that God part. For we suspiciously wise ones, even the higher power references burden us. For we are sharp and quickly figure out that higher power, HP, is just another name for God. None of this should be surprising as most, not all, come sliding into the folding chairs of the rooms of OA with a less than ideal relationship with God. Some have no previous knowledge or introduction to God or vague childhood exposures and images. Others may have had a specific form of God introduced to them for which they rebelled. Still, others of us may arrive with a rage towards and blaming of God for some specific tragedy or for a general ruling, ruining of our lives, forcing us into OA. And still others are just looking for a way to justify backing out the doors. And God could make a very, very handy scapegoat for that. This, the third step of Alcoholics Anonymous can be one of the most difficult for the compulsive overeater to grasp. Pertinent ideas, C, that God could and would if he were sought. But there is so much interference with that idea. It's important for the compulsive overeater to understand this step in context. The decision simply made begins this journey of letting go, just begins the journey of letting go. It is not the final destination by any means. And we understand that coming to terms with the idea of seeking a higher power to help is often not an easy decision to make. We understand that. We get that. However, it opens the door and lends space for the miracle to step inside. It cracks the twisted thinking. Step three is the third of these three steps meant to help the compulsive overeater give up the illusion that there is any any personal power over compulsive overeater eating. And that is the best news. The idea itself is a relief is intended to swiftly and simply say i need help i've gotten this far so far on my own but now i need help the outstretched hand for from self to the unknown is everything it is hope and promise so here are the three pertinent ideas in full a that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives B that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism, and then the focus of the title of our presentation today today let us see that God could and would if he were sought. With a gift of painful desperation, we set out on the adventure of a lifetime. With help, we decided, hallelujah, we decided. This God idea would be the pursuit. It is evident, truly evident, all around, and the most convincing is before us in the lives and souls right in front of our eyes, here in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. We could wake up today with every symptom disease screaming at us, driving, and uh, every (laughs) disease screaming at us, trying to drive us. Yet if we cultivate firmly with help to wrestle our first thought in disease to reach out for God, determined in community to enlarge this experience with God, we will be free. With all of this being said, we will hear today from our guest speaker just how this third pertinent idea, this letter C, has been developing in her life. What had to be transformed in her in order for this idea to be utilized? Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness will surely lead the pack. It will be wonderful to listen and learn just how one evolves daily, seeking the God of one's own understanding. We might just Find that the terms are not too hard after all. We will be delighted and we are free. So today, please help me welcome our guest speaker, Sandy S., to the line. Sandy is a recovered compulsive overeater coming to us today all the way from the beautiful city and state of Asheville, North Carolina. She is a regular contributor at our Big Book Study meetings at A Vision for You. You may have heard some of her journey through the sharing here. And so thank you. For bringing this measure of recovery to us today, Sandy, for your service, and thank you, Leah, for your service,
2: and all the people that keep the vision line going, and that contributed to the convention. I already put in the date for next for 2021 because there's nothing like seeing a face to attach to the voice. It just makes the connection so much stronger. I'm going to start off with a third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self. And what is the bondage of self for me? The bondage of self is this incredible fear that I feel it's hardly even related to reality. And along with that fear, the bondage of self for me is intense self-hate. And the bondage of self is jealousy of people who have what I want, which is mainly inner peace and ease and, and lovingly relating to the world. So relieve me of that bondage, God, that I might better do thy will. You know, and I think, what is God's will for me? Well, the first thing is definitely to forgive myself to for everything everything, to accept exactly where I am, even if it looks ugly and it's not something people would be attracted to. By accepting every part of myself, I open myself up to what's really wonderful about me. Uh, Loving, that's God's will for me, to love myself first uh, so that I can love other people. I mean, that is the goal, not just to love myself, but to love others. And always to begin again. That's God's will for me, to begin again. And finally to allow God's power, love, whatever, and open up to it, open up to the miracles. Yeah. So when I say the prayer, I don't want it to be a rote thing. I want it to really penetrate my heart. God, I offer myself to thee, to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help. Of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life, may I do thy will always. And for me, just two things. One, God is a mystery, a capital M mystery. and I will never be able to wrap my mind around what God is. but As so many people said on this line, the important thing is it's not me. And that is a total relief. So God's will, in terms of my presentation today, I really felt like when I was thinking about this, that I really want to, if I just penetrate one heart, I will be happy, and it could start with my own heart. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to start with my history. I'll give three examples of God doing for me what I could not do for myself, of my seeking God, and of my finding transformation. And then I'll give three examples where I am actively seeking God, where I haven't experienced yet, and the big operative word is yet, the transformation I want. And which I feel is God's will for me. And then I'm going to end with talking about God could and would if he were sought. And what that means. And what does it mean to seek God? What does that mean in practical terms? So if I don't get to everything, it's okay. I want to really go slow and keep things simple. So in my history... A lot of times I've been questioned by people in vision, am I a true compulsive overeater? Because I don't have any particular foods I can't eat. There's nothing I can't eat. I'm one of that little teensy weensy subgroup within OA that doesn't have one trigger food. It's the first compulsive bite. I wasn't born a compulsive overeater, I was born a normal eater. I became one at the age of 13. But I was born in tremendous emotional turmoil to parents who were in emotional turmoil, to an extended family of aunts and cousins in a lot of emotional turmoil. As a child, I felt loved, very loved by two lunatics who were insecure and anxious and in constant battle with each other, tearing each other down. They loved me, they wanted the best for me but they were always in battle, and I hated living with them. Up until the age of 13, as I mentioned before, I was a very healthy eater, normal. Food was just a normal part of my life. I weighed about 100 pounds. I was short, 5'2". Everyone in my family and extended family were normal eaters. In fact, eating was probably one of the few things they were normal about and still are. I used to say to my mother, if you could be as healthy as the way you eat, it would be great, because I come from a very mentally ill family. Very successful people, but highly anxious. At the age of 13, in one moment, I became a compulsive overeater. I remember the moment very clearly. I was eating cherries, and when I reached full, usually I would stop before, but nope, this time I like that taste, I like that sensation. I had one more. And then I finished all the cherries in the bowl. And that was the start of a 16-year period of compulsive eating, in which food began to totally dominate my life, define my life. It was progressive. I began putting on weight, which was so foreign and uncomfortable for me. I already hated myself with a normal body, but with a new fat body on a small frame, that ratcheted up the intensity of my self hate. It was unbearable being me. And at the age of nineteen, a chance encounter really upped the ante for me, so I became an extreme compulsive overeater. I don't feel terminally unique. I know there are people who are six hundred pounds, seven hundred pounds or abstinent. I didn't reach those weights. I began throwing up. Somebody told me about a roommate who would throw up as a way of maintaining their weight, I thought, whoa, I remember hearing it. It was like, what a great idea. And I just became, that just became another part of my compulsive eating. I loved throwing up. I thought it was the greatest thing. Uh, I could eat with impunity. For the next 10 years, I thought I had the game beat. I ate whatever I wanted whenever I wanted and could throw up anywhere, very quietly. I mean, it's insane. With no weight gain, the sky was the limit for me with food. A good day would be when I would throw up, eat and throw up at night. I had to eat every day. I could not sleep unless I ate and threw up. At my worst, the eating, the compulsive overeating would start when I woke up and it would go on through the whole day, eat, throw up, go to class, eat, throw up, study, eat, throw up, the next thing. Um, my life was partly manageable um, in the sense that I was in a doctoral program in school psychology at uh, an at Ivy League school. How I ever got through, I will not never know. I mean, my disease was so out of control, especially since it was the first time I was away from home. And I just would, the big problem was the money getting the money to finance the eating was a big problem. But I was willing to go to any length for compulsive overeating, any length. But then when the structure of school disappeared and I graduated, I didn't have my doctorate, but I graduated without it. It's amazing to me to this day how that ever happened. Um, And then I started working and I could not function. And I was fired from a job. and I tried to kill myself. It just was too painful to be me. Uh, I took an overdose of pills. There was a gun available. I realized if I really wanted to kill myself, I would've shot myself, but I didn't want to kill myself. I never wanted to kill myself. I just wanted to be out of the pain. I'm a little emotional about this. After I tried to kill myself, I mean, it was, I would call it an attempt. I mean, if I really wanted to do it, I wouldn't be here on the line. My parents didn't know what to do with me. So I got shock treatment. And actually it was a relief. It was wonderful. It did relieve the distress, but it didn't stop the overeating at all. In 1974, at the age of 27, I joined OA. I loved it right from the start because I was so deteriorated. I had no friends. I had nothing. And in OA, I met a woman. I had the food, that's what I had. I met a woman named Gloria seemed to be channeling a higher power she was serene and loving and I mean and I was a wreck I mean I was a skinny wreck when I told Gloria I only loved food that I had no feelings for people she said the words that changed my life she looked into my eyes and she said to me Sandy nothing coexists with compulsive overeating either you can love people You can love the compulsive overeating. She says it's either love or food. And her words penetrated my heart. And I felt, okay, I get it. I get it why I don't feel anything for anyone. And a few months later, my relationship to food was totally transformed. I had a spiritual experience on March 3rd, 1976, in which I bodily experienced love. I was hugging a potential boyfriend, and I felt a light go from my heart to his heart. And even as I describe it, I could feel it right now. I experienced love, and I thought, this is the love that Gloria was talking about. And I can either have this love, or I can have the compulsive eating. And I chose love. And that feeling of love is so much better than food could ever be. And I knew that compulsive overeating would prevent me from feeling that love. It was a no-brainer. I definitely wanted the love. And I'm just going to say something from the big book that I want to read on page 11. My ideas about miracles were drastically revised right then. This was a miracle for me. I thought this was the way everyone became abstinent, by having a spiritual experience. Um, I definitely feel God has done for me what I could not do for myself, that my human will had failed, tremendously failed. I didn't want to stop eating and throwing up. That was what was so amazing. I did not want to stop. But now when I had that experience, I was on a different footing. My roots grasped a new soil. And uh, I put all the energy that I put into overeating, into my recovery from that moment, abstinence and working the steps go hand in hand as the most important things in my life. There is no close second because I know one compulsive bite will bring me all the way back to the deterioration. So one day at a time, I've been abstinent for 43 years and nine months, and it really scares me to even say that. And I do not take my abstinence for granted. Each day of abstinence is a miracle to me. Yeah, I was struck abstinent. I don't know how that happened. I really don't, I was powerless over my experience. But then the 12-step work began and I wanted to do it. I've always wanted to do it. I mean, I'm unusual in that way. One day at a time, that love experience was so incredible. And I knew it came from a higher power. And that's what I depend on every day, every moment of my life, for the next right thought or action. Um, Not that it's easy. The gift from God has always been my motivation to recover. Now that I was recovered with food, I was in a position for the first time in my life to deal with the emotional pain that was at the root of my compulsive eating. I really wish that I could say, that I had a cataclysmic experience that, that catapulted me into emotional health. That's not been the case. It's been 43 years of the very, very slow educational variety, and I mean very slow. I'm gonna discuss, though, three areas in which I was seeking God and in which I feel God transformed my life. The first and most essential area for me is food. For the first 10 years of abstinence, I was on a very structured and measured and weighed food plan. I called in my food every day. I brought my scaling cup everywhere. I couldn't care less what people thought. I really couldn't. And then for the next 33 years up until today, I've eaten moderate meals. I did not make this choice willy-nilly. I was definitely led by a higher power and in the form of another compulsive overeater who said to me that she eats moderate meals and that she eats everything. And I know this is just not, you know, what most people experience in OA. They don't experience not having a trigger food, but I do. Am I the true compulsive overeater? Absolutely. When I was in OA for a year, I took one compulsive bite of an apple and I was off and running. I could not get my abstinence back. I was worse than ever. How did I know it was a compulsive bite? It wasn't on my food plan. I held that little apple in my hand and I said, I'm eating this apple because I feel anxious. And and it will calm me down. Yeah, it calmed me down. An apple. Cherry. It doesn't matter, any kind of food, a piece of celery can calm me down. So for me, the most important thing is not taking that first compulsive bite. I've never had a relapse since that apple. I it would I pray, pray to God it'll never happen. I actively seek and continue God to find God's will with regard to the food. I bring in God into every meal. I take my abstinence very, very seriously and I'm absolutely honest about every aspect of it. I have two people with over 40 years of abstinence that I discuss my concerns or any changes regarding my food. For me, and I know this is not true for most people, but for me, abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. Um, I never wanna go back to where I was, and I don't have to, I have a choice today. I believe in absolute honesty with my food and all issues in my life. The only time I don't want to be abstinent is if my, uh, honest rather, not abstinent, I want to stay abstinent. The only time I don't want to be, I'm reading this. So the only time I don't want to be abstinent, again, honest, if it will hurt others. Talk about beginning again. I'm not always successful in not hurting others, and I'm not, successful and not hurting myself, that's for sure, but I have a way out. Working the steps with all my heart and soul and then using step 10 to correct any mistakes I make, I'm open to any kind of negative feedback anyone gives me. I know I have blind spots. I want them illuminated. I want them illuminated with food. I want them illuminated with everything. Everything and the 11th step, really seeking God's will in the moment with food, with everything. And the 12th step, being of service, helping others in the way that's appropriate for me. The next area that changed in my life where I was seeking God is definitely this Vision for You meeting. It's amazing. Um, When I came to OA, I loved it. It was incredible. And then I moved from New York to Florida where I just didn't feel the power of the meetings. And the longer I was in OA, I couldn't find the emotional recovery I so desperately needed. I just wasn't connecting in the OA meetings. People were discussing food and I was okay with food, but I was not okay emotionally. And I just couldn't connect in OA and I made a very difficult and scary decision. I left the fellowship. I cried because it was very hard. I felt directed by my higher power after 17 years in OA to seek out emotional healing. I never stopped working the steps. I never stopped seeking God's will. I never stopped taking personal inventory. I never stopped trying to be of service to others, making amends. And I did stay in touch with my OA friends that I had met in 1974 then in November 2016 just three years ago I had an experience which led me back to OA it was Thanksgiving I couldn't find anything to eat at my in-laws house and um I went into the bathroom and prayed which is something I always do and I'm not a big God person which is amazing I mean I have God by higher power is just one big mystery to me that I know has come through in my life. But it's very undefined. I went to the bathroom and prayed and it came to me that I had to go back to OA. I mean, it just came out of nowhere because I called the few people I knew in OA and no one picked up and I didn't know what I was going to do. And um, I remember going to my husband and saying, I don't know what to do. There's nothing here I can't eat. So he says, oh, it's okay to go off a little. And I went, absolutely not. I'm not going off a little, are you crazy? And I just prayed and prayed and I found something to eat. But the next day, I called an OA friend and she told me about the vision meetings. And as soon as I heard them, I knew this is what I'd always been searching for. People that are on a spiritual path. Jet Sea Recovery is a threefold problem, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And I am so happy to be back in the fellowship and to be working all the steps for newcomers. You know, really important step one to real oh, first of all, the principle of step one, honesty, to be absolutely honest about whatever I'm experiencing. And anyone who's suffering, don't be afraid to be honest about your pain. That's the only way that I found it's gonna be healed. So after this seventeen year hiatus, I am so grateful to be back in the program. I'm particularly grateful to my first vision sponsor. She was incredible. How she tolerated me, I will never know. Being the compulsive talker I am, and uh, she guided me right through to the amends. I made amends to every possible person or institution or thing that I harmed. I mean, embarrassing amends, whatever it was. I don't, I don't care. The more embarrassing, the better. You know, I, I feel so much, so good afterwards. Or amends that turn out terrible where someone gets real angry at me at the amends. I mean, it was, it was crazy. But then amends that really touched my heart, especially with my mom. I want to share this. I didn't think I was planning to. But my mom was mentally ill through no fault of her own. But when she was okay, she was great. And I did my first nine step with her and asked her to forgive me for things that I had done when I was really sick. And she said to me, Sandy, I forgive you everything. She said, everything. And that was hard for my mom. And um, that was wonderful. Uh, And my mom died two years ago. And I know my mom, if she has any consciousness, would just be really happy about where I'm at. And uh, my first vision sponsor, unfortunately, relapsed, but now is doing great. And then I got a second vision sponsor to finish up the ninth step with. And now, just for clarity, I I work with a God squad. But I'm open to anything. if If I feel it's God's will for me to have a sponsor, I'll see how God puts a sponsor in my life. I feel it's such a blessing to do the steps with such a huge variety of people. I'm amazed but the most miraculous thing for me is that I'm now able to sponsor people thanks to vision. Before I gave service in different ways, but never able to sponsor, I tried. I was so brutal to people that I always wound up making amends. And even within the vision program, I had problems. I sponsored six people who most of them dropped me after (laughs) a while and I had to make amends. And then I found, like, lucky seven, that's what I call the seventh person. Like, never give up. I mean, that's my motto. Never. You know, don't give up five minutes before the miracle. Whereas i previously been very hard on sponsees. That's not the case now. You know, I finally found someone I could help who was just a good match. You know, I take my role very seriously. It's very important to me every step. So before talking with her, I see if I can get in touch with my higher power. And the most important thing for me in helping her is to help her get in touch with her higher power. And also for not, not me be the higher power. I'm not her higher power. And she is not her higher power. But she has a higher power within and without that I want her to help connect with. And I've always said to her, the basis of this is honesty. Be as honest as you can. That is the basis of freedom for me. So I pray each morning to be a loving sponsor and to do whatever it takes to be open to God's guidance in terms of best helping my sponsee. I did try to take on a second person. I feel bad because like I know other people sponsoring so many people. It was just too much for me but I am happy to say that while sponsoring this person, God has brought another person in my life that I'm doing the doctor's opinion with. So food, vision for you and the steps, and the third miracle in my life is definitely my husband. I call him my husband, but we're not actually married. We're living together for almost 30 years. Um, he said he would never marry me because of my anger. And, um but I will say this marriage or not marriage, he is my husband. He is my soulmate. He is God's gift to me. Uh, anyone looking for a relationship, um, not only am I a model of like anyone can be abstinent, anyone can work the steps, I'm also a model of God could and would if he would sort in relationships. I really wanted to meet a man, and I did everything I could. Um, with the steps and with actions to meet someone. And my husband is an incredible example of God could and would if he was sought. I came from a family in which my parents were so mutually destructive. I call them the power of negative example. I knew I'd rather be alone than be with the wrong person. I did a great deal of step work around meeting my husband and never thought in my wildest dreams that I would meet someone I was attracted to and whom I loved and loved me and was attracted to me. Meeting my husband was definitely a God thing. And the relationship we have now is even more of a God thing. We had our rough moments. We had three breakups, I mean, in which we vowed, oh, yes, we love each other, but we're not good for each other. We're never getting back together. My husband had an affair, and it was devastating to me. Not that he had the affair, but just that I couldn't give him the love he needed. I knew I couldn't give him the love he needed. Actually, I was happy he was having the affair because he's much older than me, and I thought he deserved to be happy. And what happened was it was pretty miraculous. Uh, He came back. We definitely were not getting back together. I mean, after he had this affair with a very good friend of mine, um, we were not getting back together. And then he had a car accident, which it's a miracle he didn't die. Um, And they cut him out of the car, and they said they don't know how he lived. And then we kind of got back together. You know, it was like a God thing. And then I was in therapy. And I said to the therapist, this is after a year that we were kind of back together. I said, I don't know if I should break up with him or not. I don't know if he's the right person. So I brought him to therapy. And this therapist I have is just so tuned in with higher power. And he spoke with her for about 20 minutes and left, you know, the room. And I was alone with him. And she said words that shocked me. She said, he's God's gift to you. She said, you have a rare and very special relationship. And I went, I do? Like, are you kidding? This is a rare and special relationship? And she said, we had unconditional love for each other. Well, that was true. When my husband was having the affair, my friend who was having the affair was told me after the breakup, she said every day he worried about how you were. She said he worried about you every day. So, we are back together as of December 15, 2015, which is four years ago today. I knew that we would be together for the rest of our lives. And I will say our relationship after my abstinence, after my recovery, is the most important thing in my life without exception. I love him. I love him so deeply because he's the one person in the world who has supported everything I've ever done for recovery. He is in the trenches with me. While he irritates the hell out of me in some ways, I use my 10th step to get over that. And I also go to page 417. Let me just find that. Here we go. Acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I'm disturbed, it's because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact in my life, Unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly as the way it is supposed to be at this moment. And when I say those words, when I say those words, the first thing that is so hard for me to accept is myself. Very difficult. And it's hard for me to accept those aspects of my husband. I do not lie. And it's very hard for me even harder to accept those aspects of myself I don't like. That's really tough. But I will say today I am happier than ever in being with him, that my love for him grows, just like my abstinence, that just looking in his eyes, his smile, his everything, I just am so, so grateful. I do not feel alone anymore. And what's really incredible is how much he supports my recovery. It's a pain in the ass for him a lot of times. He'll come in to talk to me. I'm on the phone. But he gets it. He gets that the quality of my love for him is so enhanced by my working the 12 steps and by working with others. And yet I still need God's help to make sure I serve by loving my husband. That is a very huge form of service to me. Now I want to discuss the three areas of my life in which I've been seeking God's guidance and which are really just taking a Yiddish expression, the Kishkas out of me. Um just like that. It's emotional mood swings. I do come from a mentally ill family in the sense that they experience incredible amounts of agitation that are not related to reality. On June twenty second, two 2009, I felt directed to go off of all my psychiatric medication. I had gone off twice before. I was in a situation where things happened that there was no doubt about it. God was telling me that I was ready. i have been off of the medication for 10 years, 10 and a half years. Uh, I had incredible emotional mood swings, um, but incredible emotional growth at the same time. And I really pray, God, if it's your will for me to go back on medication, I will. I mean, it's fine. Uh, I know you don't want me to lead this tortured life. This, I leave a life of torture or great happiness. I mean, it's weird. And one of the biggest problems is sleep. I am sleep-deprived. I usually wake up at 3 in the morning, and I'm in prayer. I am I am in prayer at 3 in the morning after 4 or 5 hours of sleep. And what's so great is I have people I can share with in Europe, four up at that time. I have a regular group of people I share with at 3 a.m. And then I'll share with other recovered compulsive overeaters who have problems with sleep. So I'm definitely not alone. And what's so great, and I could laugh about this, what's so absolutely fabulous is that we're all focused on the solution. And we're not in denial about the problem. We feel the whole thing. People have been very incredibly helpful. I've done numerous 10-steps. I said maybe I've done 150 10-steps on why do I have these mood swings? I don't want these mood swings. Should I go back on medication? What do I need to do to sleep? I mean, it's the same thing. It's the same 10-step. It all boils down to one thing. I am not enough. And that is my main character defect, feeling something is so wrong with me. It's a lie. But at moments I believe it and at other moments I know it's a total, total lie. I am not my worst behavior. I am really my best behavior. And that's the higher power within me. I do believe that God could and would, if He were sought, restore me to sanity and I seek God's will every single way day. And there's a part in the big book that is essential for me. It's on page 58. I'm just looking for it in my notes. Let's see if I could find it. Okay, here it is. There are those two who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. I am 100% certain there is not a doubt in my mind that as God has recovered me from food, And I am fully recovered one day at a time from food. He will recover me emotionally. Um, I am incredibly angry that I have emotional mood swings that have almost nothing to do with reality. It's biological. It's in my cells, just like the compulsive eating. I think I have an allergy of the body for emotions like I do for food. And that twist, that mental twist and, um, and so what I have to do is accept. Acceptance is the answer, again, to all my problems. When I am disturbed, it's because I find some person, me, some fact in my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept myself. I want to speak to anyone out there who hasn't been able to get abstinent, who's been in the program for years and years and years. Do not give up. Start again. Start again, I really believe we are all connected with God and that God is even more connected with us in our worst times and we just don't know it. So don't think because you're eating that you're not connected. We're all connected. That's the way I view it. That's just my view. Um, because the most difficult fact to me to accept is not others, it's me. And I know once I accept me, the judgments about everything will be eased, and they are being eased. Um, Acceptance is the only, only, only uh, way to honesty and acceptance. Okay, another area in my life, I just want to make sure that I'm going to have time for how I want to end. I'll just go quickly. Is relationships, something I'm working on. I have a lot of jealousy for people who are emotionally regulated. I have a lot of emotionally regulated people in my life. My husband is emotionally regulated. His kids are emotionally regulated. The grandkids are emotionally regulated. It's like, like I have one cousin who's emotionally regulated, one out of many. You know, why can't I be them? Like I want I don't want to be me. I want to be them. I want to be these emotionally regulated people. I'm getting over that. I am getting over that because I am in a unique position to help anyone who feels anxiety, depression. I am in a unique position to provide a solution. And the other area of my life that's really tricky is work. Surprise, surprise, I'm a psychologist. Um, I hope if anyone's seeing a therapist, I hope they're healthier than I am. But um, I stopped working when I went off the psychiatric medication. I loved working. I was a school psychologist and also did therapy. And it was so healing for me because I was thinking about someone else beside myself. But when I went off the medication, I just could not function at the level I needed to. So I I retired early. And I've always wanted to go back to work as a psychologist. And and I've tried different things. But last year, as God would have it, somebody was seeking a sponsor. And she was a therapist. And she's been helping me for the last year go back to work. I've been doing therapy. And everything has fallen into place. The insurance, I'm on every kind of insurance panel you can imagine. I did not do that. God brought my insurance person into my life. God brought this person who is sort of like my supervisor from OA into my life. And God brought my clients into my life. And I pray every time before I have a session that I'd be of help and that if God doesn't want me to be doing this, to let me know and I'll stop. And then recently I decided to expand my business to do gifted evaluations in Florida. I'm in Asheville now, but my family and friends are in Florida to sort of commute. And I I just, I've been doing that and it hasn't been working out. I will tell you, I cannot get referrals. But what I feel is this. If God wants me to do this, it'll work out. And this is very important to me. God's delay is not God's denial. And I have to be patient. And I know the answers will come as I seek out God's will. So just to summarize where I've come from, I've had a life of extreme emotional dysfunction, And turn to food compulsively, destructively, to soothe me, to help me deal with those extreme, intense feelings that weren't rooted in reality. And thank God for the food. And thank God for recovery. And thank God for recovery in every way, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. It's there for all of us. I am a testimony to that. I think a big thing for me I love is the line from the big book, when confused or doubtful, we relax and take it easy. You know, that is the last thing I ever want to do is relax and take it easy. I just want to get in there, you know, and and, and, and do things, you know. And another thing I love is from uh, that acceptance chapter, you know, the story, 420, acceptance is the key to my relationship with God today. I never just sit and do nothing while waiting for him to tell me what to do. Rather, I do whatever is in front of me to do and leave the results up to God. NATO, not attached to outcome. However it turns out, that's God's will for me. And in ending, I want to first say what God has given me long-term abstinence and recovery. I'm so grateful, so, so grateful. God has given me this vision fellowship, so grateful because I lost it for 17 years and now I have it back and it really means something to me. And my husband, oh my God, I just can't even begin to tell you the love I feel for him. It is such a gift and the love I feel back from him. And he's far from perfect, and so am I far from perfect. And there's three things I'm working on. Inner peace and ease and emotional regulation, healthy relationships with people, and going back to work and really being of service. I just want to end with explaining what that means to me. God could and would if he was sought. It means that no human power can relieve my compulsive eating or my emotional disorders, which I need relief from. I need relief from both. I never had any doubt that my compulsive overeating was the solution to my emotional problems. I never thought, oh, I have an eating problem. I knew that was not the truth. I knew just for me, I would hate myself so much that I felt I would burst out of my body, and the only thing that helped was eating, and then it was eating and throwing up. I was powerless over that. I have no doubt that just as there was a spiritual solution to my eating, and there is a spiritual solution each day, there is a spiritual solution to my emotional problems. That is step two. Do I believe in my heart of hearts, not just in my head, but in my heart of hearts, that there's a power greater than myself that can restore me to sanity? Absolutely, yes. How could I not believe after telling this story? So I seek God's guidance in my third worst moments. That's the third part. That's the seeking. I'm very practical. What does it mean to seek God's will? I don't want to know in the abstract. I want to know practically what does that mean? What will get me out of self-absorption, self-hate, agitation? Well, the first thing to me is to be open to God's miracles. You know, that idea of asking for God's protection and care with complete abandon on page 59. And it's amazing how suddenly I will experience the beginning of a mood shift. That all of a sudden I could actually feel in my body it's shifting. And what shifts it? I never know. I never know. In one moment it could totally shift. I could feel the energy. I could feel whatever Those character defects are, they are being removed, you know, and um, I absolutely do not take for granted feeling good. I'm one of the few people probably that don't rest on my laurels. How can I when I know I have these mood swings, you know? Yes, I'm happy, but whoa, it's going to change. But the good news is I record when I'm happy. Just like I record my character defects, I record all my happy moments. I need to remember them. And there are many, there are many, many happy moments. And uh, I I love that line on page 100. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances are. My message to everyone is be open to miracles, and when they have happen to you, savor them, cherish them, know that you are enough. No matter what your inward or outward circumstances are right at this moment, everyone is enough. Every single being is enough. It's so important not only to be open to the miracles, but to be honest Be absolutely honest with what you're experiencing. Don't worry what people think. Who cares? I mean, you know, maybe most people can't stand me. I'm so intense. I don't blame them. But there's a few out there that really like me. And those are the people that I'm attracted to. Those are the people I want to be with. I need to be honest about who I am, authentic. And if you don't like me, that's okay. God will provide the right people in my life. I cannot be afraid to be authentic. It's very important. And mostly I have to be open, open to feedback from my fellows, you know, about things I need to change within myself. And more than that, I mean, I'm very open to what I need to change about myself. What I need to be open to is what's good about me, what's wonderful about me, what's wonderful about everyone, because that's what heals. I think the underlying character defect, underlying everything, underlying my misery, underlying the food, is that feeling that I am not enough. I am hopeless, I am helpless, I am worthless, and it's a lie. Anyone feeling that now who's into the food, it's a lie. Everyone, every one of us is enough. And if I could just get that into my heart, I would be pretty recovered emotionally. I'm hoping it happens. So I'm going to end with a step seven prayer. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. May we all be in today. May we all be in touch with our higher power today. And may we all know in our hearts that we are all loved and are capable of loving. And with that,
0: I pass. Sandy, thank you so much. Just passionate, true surrender and the hope of recovery in this in this disease. I, uh, I thank you very much from the bottom of my heart for offering so much of yourself today and your story and the journey along the way that... It describes beautifully, beautifully the miracles that abound as a result of following these steps to the depths of despair, to the the moments of hope and the work that we do, you know, price had to be paid. Thank you so much for this presentation this morning. The lines will now be open for questions for Sandy. If you have questions this morning, please unmute your phone by pressing star one on your phone keypad. Offer your first name and the first letter of your last name, please. And then once you've asked your question, please immediately press star one again to mute the line so it's nice and quiet for the recording. We want to make sure this is archived in its brilliance. So if you want to give me your first name, I'll take it down. Donna, Elise
1: then? Hi, Elise then.
0: Elise, Elise, hang on just one second. Donna, what was the first initial of your last name? It's G, G is in grateful. She isn't grateful. Got it. Elise, what's the first initial of your last name? N. Thank you, Elise. The next person that has a question?
3: Irene
0: Irene B. And I hear an Elizabeth that's very faint. You might want to crank up the volume a bit. Elizabeth, would you give me the first initial of your last name? Maybe it wasn't Elizabeth. Are there any other folks that have a question?
3: Diane M. from Michigan.
0: Diane M. Diane, you're also very, very faint. want to hear your question. So if there's a positioning that you can do, that would be helpful. Anyone else this morning with a question? Nia B. Nia, that's who I saw. Nia, You are very, very faint too, Nia. So if we can reposition as well. Maybe when folks press star one, that might help as well. Is there a last person before we... Move on to the first asking question. Sam S. Sam S. Okay, let's go with this lineup, okay? And everybody else, if you would press star 1, we hear some dishes in the background. We have Donna G., Elise N., Irene B., I think there's an Elizabeth, and perhaps a Diane M., Nia B., and a Sam S. So if everyone else except for for Donna G would press star 1 on their phone keypad to mute so we can have a nice quiet line, Go ahead with your question
4: hi this is Donna G and um, Sandy I just want to thank you so so much um, for sharing your story and um, I just I got so much from it and I appreciate it so much Um, I love your intensity I absolutely love it (laughs) Um, I mean, when I say I love it, I was, I, I was sitting here crying, listening to you thinking, Oh my gosh, this is so refreshing. Like I really, really love it. And, um, my question is I too, um, have always said I'm open to the miracles. I've got to stay open to the miracles. I'm such a believer in them. I'm such a child filled with awe and wonder of my higher power. And, um, I, that's what I related to a lot also. But my question is, how have you specifically, if you think about it, what specifically have you done? I'd love to learn from that, to stay open to those miracles, specifically in the area of work um, and uh, your partner coming into your life. Those are two areas that I'm watching and looking for the miracles and hoping for them. And then also, to how did you know it was God? when those when those came in those two areas, I'd really appreciate your feedback on that. Thank
2: you, okay, So if I understand the question, it's like how do I work? How do I stay open to the miracles with work and my husband and um and how do I know it was God? okay, I'll start with my husband first it, that it, was.
4: Yeah, that's the question, but it's specifically, like, when those things came. So when the work came, when it was your husband who came into your life, how, you know, how did how you did that How did I know?
2: How did you bring it
4: about? How, how did you ask okay. God? Yeah.
2: Okay. What I did was, I'll tell you, with my husband, it was hysterical. I remember saying to a friend of mine, we were both looking for men. We were over 40. They said, you had a 1% chance of meeting a guy in New York. And I said to my friend, I'm turning my will and my life over to the care of God about meeting a guy. And she said to me, I'm not. I said, I'm not either, you know. And uh, if you're not, I'm not. She's in the program. So basically I did, though. I did. And, and what it did was, you know, I felt directed to look for men in every way you could imagine. And I, I really searched. And um, when I met my husband, I knew right from the moment that he was for me. It was just like that energy I felt that got me abstinent with with this other guy I was with. It was the same energy when I, he we met through the classified ads. He sent me a letter. The letter, I still have it. When I spoke with him on the phone, it was just this connection. I can't explain it. It was amazing. I have always felt that with him. We are always connected. I know it's God because I don't have this with anyone else. It's like the most amazing thing. It's just an experience that I can't make. Something else made this experience. There's something about him that we just connect. We are so different. He is mentally healthy. I will tell you that he is not intense. He is very laid back. So I know this is God in our lives. And I even just said to him yesterday, because I do have these moose swings, <laughs> I said to him, how do you take me? And he just smiled and started laughing and making faces. I mean, that's who he is. He he just, we are meant to be together. We are meant to love each other. And I love him with all my heart and soul. And especially when I'm feeling good, I do wonderful things to enhance his life. And when I'm feeling bad, I definitely do a lot of 10 steps. I know it's God. Work has been trickier. Work has very been trickier. How I ever graduated is a miracle. I remember I did a ninth step with a roommate of mine where I was binging my brains out and throwing up. I mean, it was incredible in a one-bedroom apartment. Uh, And I made amends to her. I said, "Just this was my last." Fifty years ago, I found her. I said, "I'm sorry for any harm I did you." She said, "Sandy, you did me no harm." She said, "You were so." Sick. she says I don't know how you ever graduated she said you'd be sitting there eating 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 with boxes of cookies and and bakery stuff and studying and you were just so sick so I just know how I ever became a psychologist let me tell you it was not me it was God's will how I ever worked in an incredibly wonderful situation in a school system where I was valued I mean it's amazing I will tell you this is God's God's gift to me. The devotion I put into my recovery is the devotion I put into my work. It was like every kid with my child. I don't have children. I would pray when I would work to just be a loving presence. And and then when I had to leave work, you know, opportunities would just fall into my lap, just like the way I know it's God, just the way this person looking for a sponsor happened to be a supervisor for people that are therapists. I mean, like, how does that happen? There are 4,000 people or however many thousand people in vision. How did we happen to connect? It's the serendipity of things. And then the latest thing with the gifted testing, I mean, this was really crazy. My cousin said to me, oh, my grandson was tested for gifted in Florida. And I thought, wow, I could do that, and I could go back to Florida and see my cousins and friends, and, you know, I don't know if it'll work out. I mean, that's how, you know, God's will for me to explore it or whether it'll actually happen, I don't know, but the whole thing is, what's the next right step? What's the next right step with my husband? What's the next right step with my work? You know, God, show me, you know, and I really wish, I'm sorry if this is such a long answer, Donna. It's I really, really wish that in my heart that God would just give me a little piece of paper that said, Sandy, do one, two, and three. I would do them, you know? So how do I know God's will? I just have to be quiet and to the best of my ability, just try and feel what it is and, and just do that thing on page 420, the next right action and let go of the results. That's it.
0: Thanks so much, for Donna, for your question. Thanks, Sandy, Thanks. Elise, and your question is next this morning, and then Irene B. will come after you.
1: Hi, this is Elise N. Thank you for your qualification. I think the first thing I have to say is that I'm also have a mental illness on one medication, and one thing is that um, this it's an it's an outside issue from from OA, and don't not advise anybody to feel like you know, you're not depressed, go off medication because you hear somebody's feeling good in program and they did it because uh, I know people that have done that. And I'm also a therapist, so I have had have that hap- have seen that happen and people get very sick. Um, but uh, my question is, I've just started to, uh, I've just been stepped up again. I've been in program 30 years and I'm looking for sponsors. Um, how do you find people? <laughs> if I put my name out there, um, there's a lot of people in Vision that put their name out there, and I get people calling, you know, like I give a certain time, they call, they want a different time. How do you find people that, you know, that really are ready and willing to be sponsored?
2: Okay, thank you very much for the question, Elise. First of all, thank you very much for what you said. I really appreciate that, and wish I had said that in my in my talk. That it was very very, it is an outside issue. Um, Mental illness is an outside issue. Medication is an outside issue. It's a part of my story that's vital. I have a lot of shame, more shame around the mental illness than I'll ever have around food, Um, and that how to tell my story with that part in it and for it not to be an outside issue. You know, I just have to ask God for discernment. I want to say two things. One, I was very scared to tell people that I have no trigger foods because I was afraid that somebody who has an allergy to sugar, to flour, to whatever, to dairy, will suddenly think they have no trigger foods. No, this is a very individual program. It's the same thing applies to the emotional well-being. We all have our own individual program. And to really ask God for help in determining how to shape your individual program, you know, I really feel the higher power directs me for my program. In terms of finding people to sponsor, I'd say the biggest thing is keep looking. You know, I would say share on the line. So people get to know you and put your name out every single day until you get, I mean, this is just me. I'm I'm such an intense person until you get the person that's the person you're meant to be with. And then I would write down the names of new people. I would listen on the line to people who's in trouble and just trust you do the footwork. God will find you the person. Just be patient. Just be willing. To do the footwork and then the hardest thing hardest of all is to let go and let go
0: thank you at least for your question irene b your question please and then if there isn't elizabeth she will be next
3: good morning thank you so much for your service oh my gosh thank you for your beautiful share i feel like you were describing me the whole time oh my gosh I, everything you said resonated so very strongly and my question to you is um, with regard to the self-loathing self-hatred self-rejection uh, I, I feel like I'm rotten to the core and I know all of that is irrational there is no rationality there is no reality in those assessments that comes from an early childhood of trauma and i'm trying to overcome that and i've worked the steps and it's like can you tell me some of the things that you have done through your recovery to help you overcome that intense need for external validation to offset the self-rejection because and and i feel like nobody likes me i'm too intense and it's very difficult for me to be authentic So it's like, I mean, it's like everything you talk about, it's like, how did you do it? Tell me how you did it so I can follow in your step, footstep. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Irene. I really, I'm laughing. I am actually sitting here laughing, which I will tell you, humor definitely helps me because I'll never forget, um, I was at this program. It was like a residential health program. And this guy comes up to me after a week, and I was really, really like this guy. And uh, he says to me, I don't know where, why he felt he had to be so honest. He says, I want you to know I am deliberately staying away from you. He says, because you are too intense. He says, stop being so intense and I'll be friendly with you. And I looked at him and like, I thought, like, shit, if I could stop being intense, don't you think I would have stopped it years ago? I mean, this is something I am powerless over. And I, I really do the self-hate as a character defect. I, I, I do a 10-step on it. And um, there are many things I do outside of the program, outside issues, so feel free to call me and I will discuss every single one of them to you. I pray, I will say something, though, that I don't think is an outside issue, that it's about physical health. I'm not sure if it's an outside issue or not. I mean, I'm I'm really pretty, I really, I'm pretty straight and narrow about guidelines. But I will say exercise. I don't think it's too much of an outside issue. Healthy exercise since there, are exercise bulimics has really transformed my brain, has really helped me love myself. Um, I think it's okay to say that. Uh, And then I, I will speak to you. I ask God to show me the next right therapy the next right thing, the next right person to call. But ultimately, it's, it's the hope that there is something out there that can restore me to sanity, even though I have, I'm 72. Like, it's been a long time that I've been insane. Uh, but I just, I really believe, I've had such great, oh, this is it. Remember the moment of self-love. Remember them. Try and feel them in your body. And I will just describe the last moment I had of such pure self-love. I was, it was some kind of healing that I was doing, and what I experienced was everything in my body letting go, everything. It was just like a month ago. It was a spiritual experience. And I said to this person that I was involved with who was like healing me with this, I said, oh, my God, I have never felt so good in my life. This is amazing, this is, it's wonderful. And she said to me, this is who you really are. She said, this is who you really are. You are not the fear, you are not the self-hate. This is who you really are and all you need to do is remember that. So that, that's, that's, that's what I could share with you, Irene, but I'd be happy to share with you offline.
0: Thank you so much, Irene B. Is there an Elizabeth that asked? to be heard for a question. Then let's just move straight on to Diane. Diane, am your question, please. Thank you. Uh, this is Diane from Michigan. And first I just wanna say I love you so much. Um, <laughs> you are the first person that Talk to me in vision. I put my name out there as a struggling
4: relapser, and you called me back. And um, you have helped me
0: in ways that I can't even begin to thank you for. Um, So I wanted to say that first. But my question for you this morning is, could you be a little bit more specific about what you, like the logistics of what you do Um, for your uh, 11th step, for prayer and meditation. With that, I'll pass. Thanks.
2: Yeah, I will be. First of all, thank you so much, Diane. This is what heals me emotionally, hearing that I've I've helped somebody else. I can't even begin to tell you. I just need to open up to the fact that I have value. Not that I need external value, but to know I have made a difference in people's lives. The 11th step. At night, I do, I actually write it down. I'm a very structured person. I write down constructive review. At one point, I did it on an app and that was good, but I I just don't like that whole texting thing. So I just write it down and I write it down very um, simply, like R, resentment,
5: S, fear
2: um i find resentment and fear are the two things when i'm constructing constructively reviewing my day that i really need to focus on um and then i focus on what could i do better and last night like i knew what what i could do better a lot of times is not try so hard you know or value myself or or things like that um so that is basically The 11th step at night. It has, I believe, in total honesty. I've done it in different uh, degrees of complexity where I've answered every single question. And for now, I'm not doing that. I'm just really just focusing on those three things resentment, fear, and what I could do better. Um, That seems to really penetrate into everything else. And every morning, I wake up and I do what's called upon awakening. I just write OA on awakening and um i i actually i do something a little unusual because i'm a little bit of a maverick you know i'm on on awakening when i ask god to direct my thinking especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity dishonest or self-seeking motives i also ask for the opposite direct my thinking god so that it's full instead of self-pity appreciation. Instead of dishonesty, honesty. Instead of self-seeking, truly self-nurturing. God, what can I do today that would really nurture me? There's only one thing I'm interested in life. It's recovery. It's experiencing emotional recovery. It's experiencing inner peace. It's experiencing inner connection. Those are my motives. I know those motives are good. I know when I'm at peace, When my house is in order, I can be maximally effective to people. Um, And then I ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought or a decision. I will say my unawakening is much bigger than my correct constructive review at night. My constructive review is usually the same thing. I resent my mood swings. I'm afraid I won't sleep. I'm afraid I won't be good enough. And what, is, what do I do better? It's trusting in God. Just keep trusting and doing the next right thing. But for unawakening, I'm pretty pretty good with this, you know, relaxing and take it easy. I say that, but I, it's hard for me to do. And really looking for that conscious contact with God because that's the essence of the program. It's not talking with another person. It's an inner experience. And then I pray that i be shown all through the day my next step. And I really ask God, please help me take care of those problems. And freedom from self-will. For me, that's freedom from fear, freedom from self hate freedom from self-absorption. Oh, what I'd give to be free from that. Um, And then I sort of, I don't do too much with the meditation. I meditate for 10 minutes, like that's what I'm doing lately. Um, I do it with, with a... I'll tell you what I do with it. It's a thing that gives me feedback. It's, it's like a neurofeedback thing. And then um, I pause. This is the big one. Pause, pause, pause. Oh, my God. When agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action and constantly, constantly, constantly remind myself I'm not in charge. There is a higher power in charge. And I can count on God. And, uh, and then basically it goes into faith without works is dead. So into action. So that's what I do. And I'm very serious about this. And I pass.
0: Thank you so much, Diane. So the question, Nia B, your question, please. And then Sam S will come after you. Press star one, Nia B.
6: Sorry. Good morning. Uh, Thank you, Sandy. I appreciate your sharing regarding anxiousness. My question is how you would conduct a 10th step or anything else in your opinion to bring, bring relief to anxiousness in an example of a following situation. In the morning, I conduct prayer, meditation, talking with at least one person, example, a sponsor. My lunch is packed for the day. Then I go to work, get in the work car, and there is an unexpected traffic jam. I know I'm not doing anything wrong, but the anxiousness is so overwhelming that this situation is messing up my planned day that I reach out to eat my packed lunch in the car earlier than planned. Um, For these unexpected situations like these, um, for the anxiousness and wanting to reach for the food. Is there anything um, you can add or insight? Thank you again.
2: Yeah. You know, Mia, um, first of all, I'd put your lunch in the trunk. (laughs) I'm very practical. Put it where you can't reach it. You know, that is number one. Uh, Anything I could physically do to give myself comfort. The other thing is what's always helped me was the abstinence is when I get anxious, I think, what do I really want? And what I really want is to feel calm. I don't want to feel anxious. And the food, while it will relieve the anxiety in the short run, will make me more anxious in the long run. So what I would do is a 10-step. You know, I would do it, um, I would do it, you know, what I would suggest. If you think a situation is going to be difficult to do it beforehand. But with the anxiety, this is my 10th step. I usually, it's a resentment or a fear, but I say 90% of the time it's a resentment. I resent that I have this anxiety. It's so out of proportion to reality for you to have so much anxiety. There are are so many other people in traffic. I mean, are they all sitting and eating in their cars? No. There are some people that are handling it normally. I know that there is some kind of way to handle this normally. So I resent that I have so much anxiety. And then I just take it through the the steps. It affects my security, self-esteem, et cetera. And then I say the sick man's prayer for myself and the way I relate to my anxiety. You know, uh, in your case, I would be relating to my anxiety by eating, which is making it worse in the long run. Good in the short run, bad in the long run. And, um, you know, after saying sick man's prayer, the big thing in that is how can I be helpful? What would truly help relieve the anxiety? Really acknowledging I'm powerless over it. You know, really seeing my part, you know, the four parts, selfishness, dishonesty, self-seeking, and fear. And getting into the fear that God will never, what is the fear? I'm not doing the right thing so that God can remove the anxiety. And, you know, I'm relying on my finite self. And and somehow or other, when I ask God, what would you have me be? Always for me, the answer is honest, that I'm experiencing this intense anxiety. And then what would God want me to have be? Trusting. You know, see what comes up for you. And then miraculously, even if the anxiety isn't relieved in that moment, you can trust that something will happen and the anxiety will eventually be relieved. I would say to really pray to God for you to know in your heart of hearts that there is a solution. It's not food. So when you have these anxiety attacks, you just use them. Gift of desperation, God, use them as an opportunity to reach out to God. No matter, even if you're an atheist, I don't care. Pretend there's a God. And what would you say to that power to help you?
3: That's it. Thanks,
0: Nia, for the qu- oh, thanks, thanks, Nia, for the question. Sam S, your question now. But I wanted to let folks know too, before she posted her question, that we can open up the lines if there are any other folks that would have a question for Sandy this morning, right after Sam. Sam, go ahead. Thank you so much, Mel. Thanks for your service. And Sandy, thank you so much for that honest share. That was so beautiful um, and honest, honest, honest. Um, The question that I have for you, uh, one of the things you said this morning was God's delay is not God's denial. And I thought that was so beautiful. I'm just wondering if you can share maybe of an experience that you've had where where maybe God is saying no versus not yet and how you differentiate between the two. Thank you.
2: Thanks. Thanks so much, Sam. I don't know if I could really... Answer that well, but I can give you about differentiating. No, I can. I definitely can. Okay, God's delay is not God's denial. It definitely happened with my husband. I so wanted to meet a man. You can't believe it. I mean, I think as soon as, you know, I got into boys, I wanted to meet someone and have a boyfriend. And um, I didn't meet my husband till I was one month short of 43. And that was a big delay and i i i look at him and there are so many other guys who have accomplishments who have skills he'll never have who can do so many things he'll never do but he is the person for me i never thought i'd be with someone that i was so physically attracted to i find him to be adorable after 30 years and I'm so grateful. There was no one before. He was so worth waiting for. He is so emotionally grounded. He is so encouraging to me. He, is, he loves life. He's, he's, it's like he worked the program. Like I'm living with someone who worked the program. And then not only that, but his kids. I love his kids. They're great. And the grandkids and the extended family, his cousins, everyone. They're all so emotionally healthy. So I really, I don't see many men like this. I see many men with many accomplishments that those were the men I thought I wanted, but no, I had to wait for my husband. And I'm so glad, you know, God has said no. And then during our breakups, there were other guys that I was involved with and God, it was no. And we're back together and happier than ever. So he is definitely my example. and. You know, the the thing I'm facing now is two things. Like, one, I don't know whether to go back on the medication, you know, because I'm not emotionally healthy the way I want to be. So I'm not sure, you know. I just ask God, like, if you want me to be back on the medication, show me today. And, um, you know, I really believe God will give us our heart's desire. I always felt I long so much for a man. Why would God put that longing in my heart? without giving me fulfillment. I would say if there's something you long for in your heart, just trust that if it hasn't come yet, that it's going to come. Because I do remember this. I had a motto when I was out looking for a guy, which was like uh, with a friend of mine. We were looking together from away, and our motto was we'll dance at each other's wedding, even if we're 86, but it's going to happen. I always had the hope and faith. it was going to happen because if god planted that desire and it was a healthy desire in my heart for me to know it's going to happen and what's the next right step if it's in your heart it's meant for you that's just
0: my opinion thank you sam asked for the question hey it looks like time will allow for a few more questions if you have one for Sandy, if you press star one on your phone keypad and give me your first name and the first letter of your last name, I could take a few more down. Maria F. Maria S. Anyone else with a question? Hi, this is Carla H. Carla H.
5: Yes.
0: And this will be our last round of questions. So if you had one on your heart, this will be the time to press star one. Okay, we'll take it that all minds are clear of questions. And certainly you'll have Sandy's phone number at the end of the meeting. You might want to pose it then. So Maria S. Go ahead with your question. Hi, good morning Mel. Um, my name is Maria F. Recover Cover Cups of here in Dublin, in Ireland. Uh, gosh, thanks so much, Sandy. Thanks so much for your, your great share. And, you know, you gave so much of yourself, Sandy. Um, and I was really touched by your, your level of honesty um, and your authenticity. Um, and you spoke a lot at the end of your share um, about the importance of that in, in, in your life, you know, the importance of the emotional stability. And you spoke about, and the importance to you of being honest and being authentic, and my question is, I'm just wondering what helps you, Sandy, to honor um, your truth in those areas? What helps you on a daily basis to honor, honor your truth in these?
2: Thank you, that's a great question. What helps me honor the truth is my gift of desperation. I know the only way I will heal is if I am totally honest and that it doesn't matter what reactions people have towards me. I mean, basically, I don't want to be toxic to other people, but if someone, and, and if someone finds me too intense or too much, I will lower it. I will, you know, lower my degree of honesty to fit the person that I'm with. And I, I do look for signs about who can take it and who can't. And it's very important for me not to be hurtful. in in going about my recovery. Um, I think the recovery is so important. And in my opinion, people relapse because they're not honest, that they're afraid to be honest, that they're afraid to tell somebody what they're experiencing, that it's too much for the other person. You know, I, I would encourage people to trust that if it's too much for someone else, that they will set a healthy emotional boundary. Or they'll tell you, you know, people have told me I'm too much for them by by leaving my life, you know, and I honor that when somebody just drops out of my life. I don't in the past. I would have run after them. Not anymore. I know when somebody I'm too much for someone, but I'm not willing. Oh, and someone said something that was amazing. I just heard it on the line Uh, because I look for spiritual things everywhere. And this was an amazing thing I wrote down, that um, if I'm with someone, you know, who just can't be with me, then just they're not the right person for me. And it's okay. And maybe there are very few right people for me. I'm not sure. But um, very important for me to be authentic. And very important for me to not be devastated when somebody drops out of my life. You know, for me to know that if I stay on this path, God will bring the people to me who not only love my honesty, but grow from it. There's a little subset that actually grow from my honesty. I don't think that I will ever have appeal for a lot of people because it's just too painful for them to hear me. But it's a pain I need to share. But on the other hand, I also need to ask God to help me with the honesty. I've been overly honest. I mean, people don't want to hear every little gory detail of my story, you know? So I just really have to ask God to show me what's the best way I can be honest. Yeah, I guess that's it. And and what leads me to this honesty is I feel I will relapse if I'm not totally honest. I'd rather err in the direction of being overly honest and err in the direction of not being honest, of some character defect coming and biting my butt, and there I am. I took the first compulsive bite, and I am really in hell. I am not in hell now because I know in any moment that I'm feeling bad, it could switch. Like, whoa, isn't this great? You know, and that there is a subset of people that I can really help with my honesty and authenticity. I have to let go of all the other people I can't. It's okay. They will find their their people. With that, I pass.
0: Thank you, Maria. Carla H., your question today, and that will be our last question for Sandy this morning. Hi, this is uh, Carla, and my question is,
5: um, I guess, just some advice or some input or whatever, Uh, How do I um, begin to really open up in therapy when I'm having a difficult time with trusting the company that I'm seeking um, therapy with um, because I work for this specific company and I'm having really a lot, lot of trust issues? because of things that may go in my record or whatever, because I work for the company. So just having a lot of trust issues around really open up what's wrong with me. Um, They did prescribe medication for me. And I don't know, I'm just having a lot of trust issues. And I can't go outside right now because I'm on um, my husband's um, benefits. And um, because I fell at work and off work now, disability and all this stuff, and just really being mistreated around um, that area of falling so just don't know how to really open up to them because I don't Uh, trust them because one moment please
0: I this is Melanie since therapy and medication is an outside issue here is there any way that you can pose your question that would be related to the 12 steps in the topic that we're speaking about today in step 3 if not, we will probably have to pass on your question as as an outside issue of therapy, and you could call her privately. Can I just help uh, her well, reboard it? Guess,
5: uh, I guess I can. Oh sure, yeah,
0: okay. We need to be very, very careful that it is completely a a big book focused twelve step response.
2: Okay, okay. I would say this when indecisive, you know, on page eighty six. Uh, When, you know, I would face it is you, you have some indecisiveness with a particular issue without getting into what the issue is, that you're not sure how to proceed. And the first thing I would ask you, and you don't have to answer, is where you are in the steps. You know, and wherever you are in the steps is fine, but to really, you know, be where you are working with a sponsor and to really discuss this issue with your sponsor. And to really get quiet and ask God for direction, I really like this unawakening thing, especially this part. Um, under, it says here, we ask God to direct our thinking, and under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane, When our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. And it sounds to me like your motive is good. You know, you want to be healthy. So you ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought or a decision. You relax and take it easy. And, you know, I also hear like a 10-step issue here. You know, you're fearful. You don't know how to proceed. So the 10-step is, you know, why do we have the fear? What are we relying on? Our finite selves rather than infinite God. And you ask God to remove the fear that you have and direct your attention to what God would have you be. And you get really quiet, really quiet and ask God to show you what he would have you be. And then what's essential is in doing the 10 steps is you share with another person. And in the sharing, You will get, if you don't get direction, then it will come. So rest assured, every single problem, whatever it is, we are blessed to have the 12 steps to work on them. If in an outside issue problem, we have the 12 steps to work on them. If it's an issue in the program, we have the 12 steps to work on them. And I really appreciate Melanie setting boundaries because one of the best things in OA is that we really keep it about OA. This has been a very tricky um, talk for me because I did bring in outside issues and I was very concerned about how to do it in a way that wouldn't take away from OA recovery. And I think the way to do it is to recognize I won't always be perfect in it. I may stray a little, it's okay. Somebody, if I'm not able to set up the healthy emotional boundary, somebody will. And to really see the value in that, the value in how we apply the traditions to this vision meeting. And with that, I pass. I want to say how grateful I am to have this opportunity. And I hope I've helped somebody. Thank I know you I've again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: Thank
0: that's you. what we're doing, right? Yeah, that's absolutely what we're doing. And thanks again for your presentation this morning. We're very grateful for that. The Share ID for today, Sunday, December 15th, 2019, is 13824. 13,824, if you'd like to go back and listen to that today. We will now close with the big book, as as we do every particular Sunday, on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. So let's get started with that as we close out this morning. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. as you trudge the road of happy destiny, may God bless